Thirties, and uh, tomorrow we'll have thirty-three forty. We'll keep moving on and building more in the catalog that is the archive of the Survival Podcast. Just a reminder for those who might be new to the show: um, we have uh, been around a while, uh, celebrating our fifteenth year this year. And if there's anything in the world of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty that you want to know more about, go to the survivalpodcast.com. Use our search box, and I promise you, you can find just about anything in this world there. Today, we're going to be focusing on economics. I expect a huge turnout in the live feed. I expect a huge download bang on the server, because we're going to talk about the blood and the gore and the apocalyptic nature of where we're at. Unfortunately, I'm not doing this just because it'll get more people to watch it. I'm doing this because I think it's where we really are. So here's kind of where I'm coming from today with this. Back in 2008, 2009, I told everybody when I started this show, and there was only, you know, by the end of 2008, there was only maybe uh, a couple thousand people listening to the audio uh, per download. Um, get out of the stock market. I said that before it crashed in, in uh, September and October of that year. And then around uh, March of 2009, I did a show called uh, Recovery Equals Inflation. And the the upshot of that show, in short, was you're you're all scared right now that we're at the edge of oblivion. And it's easy for people to forget how freaked out they were back 14, 15 years ago, but they were. I mean, this was an economic crisis beyond all proportions. Trillions of dollars, money printer go burr got spread all over the world. And people said, this is it. This is the big economic crash we've all been expecting, especially the demographic of this show. And I said, no, it's not. And that was the first time I think I ever used the term false recovery. False recovery. And I said, you're about to see a a pretty long duration of prosperity as we recover from this because we will. But the recovery will be false and it will have to be false. And the reason it has to be false is simply because they're not actually going to do anything to fix the problem. They're going to print money, they're going to buy debt, and they're going to cut interest rates. And this will create an artificial uh, boom time. And that will eventually run out. How long? I don't know. Um, I remember Brad Thor the the author who may be on the show, by the way, in August was here at my place back in 2013 or 2014. And uh, Brad's kind of a thriller uh, kind of military spy novel guy. If you've never heard of him, sort of in the same vein as Tom Clancy. And uh, he ended up here at my place and he's really interested in this kind of stuff, right? Like end of the world stuff and all. And uh, he said, how long do you think we have? And I said, at least 10 years. And I'm going to ask him about that when we have him on the show in August. Um, he, he really seemed like he didn't buy into that at all. Like, And I'm like, even then, it won't look like you think it will. Well, now I think we have a pretty clear picture of what it looks like. And I said it would be the next one that would be the big one. We're here. 
we're here. I did a show for you guys uh, on Monday about the collapse in front of your eyes. This one's going to take it to another level, and we'll try not to rehatch it. But what I really want to accomplish today, and I think this is really important for Americans in general, not just you guys, but Americans in general, we don't live in a country, we live on a freaking planet in our minds. And what I mean by that is we have a passing interest and things going on outside of our country, but we really don't care. And it's the reason we don't care is we don't think it really affects us. If you ask the average American, and I'm not talking about the dumb 19-year-old bimbo on the beach on 4th of July that people send out, you know, correspondence to interview and say, you know, who do we get our freedom from on the 4th of July or whatever, um, and they, they say something like Mexico. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that watch the news, consider themselves to be informed. If you said, name five world leaders for me, but you can't name our own, and you can't name one from the U.K., you can't name one from Canada, you can't name one from Russia, and you can't name one from Ukraine. But I want five prime ministers, presidents, whatever. The only reason that the, I, I ruled out those is because they're front and center on their TV every day. So the average person with some level of, of being informed with Zelensky and, and Putin and Trudeau, right? But... You take that away from them, and they don't know, and it's not just they don't know. There's plenty of people that, there are plenty of countries I don't know who the leader of, right, is. I couldn't tell you right now, for instance, who the leader of Costa Rica is without looking it up. It's not that I don't care. I'm not going to know every single one of them. But they don't know any, and they also have no interest in knowing because they don't think it affects them. I, I honestly feel like the average American looks at America's borders this way. Imagine a scenario where like halfway to Star Trek, we've got colonies on the moon. We've got colonies on Mars. Maybe we've got a colony on one of the moons of Jupiter. And we have these off-world people living out there. It's interesting. They'll probably make a reality TV show about it or what have you. But you would look at that and go, well, if the people on Mars change their government or their currency or whatever, I don't give a shit. It's not going to affect me here. Americans live in a bubble like that. We don't think that Chinese monetary policy affects our monetary policy. That's an illusion I want to destroy today. And it's really important with some of the stuff I'm going to give you today that you understand that what other countries do, do affect us, and not just short-term supply crunches or something, like major economic influences. Because I'm going to tell you about something today that most of you guys don't know about, and it's probably the biggest economic news in the globe right now. And I've seen nothing about it on Fox News or CNN or any of the other mainstream, not even Newsmax or whatever. Nothing about it. Nothing about it at all. It's like they'll just ignore it and it'll go away because we live in our little bubble. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Ridge Wallet. I love Ridge Wallet because it keeps my identity safe. It helps me carry everything that I need in a very minimalistic way. It just works great. I've had the same Ridge wallet now for five years, and I just love it. And I think if you give Ridge a shot, you'll love what they have to offer, too. And while they did just start out as a wallet company, now they're a full-blown EDC company with some of the coolest EDC stuff that you will ever find. And remember, if you're a member of the MSB, you do get a discount at Ridge Wallets, 10% uh, on all orders from Ridge.com. Next up today, JM Bullion. You know, I know I am a heavy, heavy advocate of Bitcoin. I've never stopped recommending precious metals, though. 
and I never will because I think it makes a lot of sense as a wealth assurance program. Somewhere around 5% of your net wealth in silver and or gold makes a lot of sense. You're going to hear today that giant economic news, a reason you might want to stack a little bit more gold, honestly, uh, into your future. So JM Bullion is where you should get your silver and gold, and I'll tell you why. They give you a discount if you're an MSB member. No one gets you a discount on, on precious metals except me. That's just something that's very uncommon, and the reason it's uncommon is that there's very thin margins in, in this world, so getting a discount on anything is, is difficult. They've been with us over 10 years. That's, that's incredible. That means they're just a strong supporter of the show. They ship all their orders for free. I can talk to the president directly if I need to. Um, and they have better pricing than like Monix and Atmix and Lear Capital. So I don't know why you would buy your silver and or gold from anywhere else. I also have a, a, an announcement today. I don't think I'm going to get uh, a little, I always do a blog blurb for stuff like this. I don't think I'm going to get that done today. Uh, I'm really cramming this week. We got the the, uh, the party next week, but I have a new MSB vendor and they are already entered into the MSB. And guys, how'd you like a discount on some of the best biltong you could ever eat? Uh, Anton's long, uh, land of biltong. I met this guy a week ago when he came in and threw a super chat at me during one of our live feeds and we started talking and they sent me a great big box of different sampler packs of biltong. And so I started talking to him. I said, I got to try this stuff before I let you in MSB. So they sent me that big box and oh boy, was I happy. You talk about a happy Jack. You send me Biltong. I'm a happy man. And it's real Biltong for those on the camera. And I'm not going to eat this because then I'm going to have food in my mouth and it's really hard not to. And it was honestly really hard not to eat this before I went live. And the only thing that I don't like about this Biltong is it's so good. It's easy to just smash it. I've got to like take some out and put the rest of it away. It's delicious. They also make a stick form uh, that's not super, you know, tender. When you look at a sliced biltong like this, this is very akin to something like prosciutto, but made with beef. As far as the texture, they make a stick that's more of a hard jerky-like, but it's it's still out of the biltong world, made with the same recipe this stuff is, I can tell by eating it. They have duars, which are the uh, South African dried beef sausages. They make it... Uh, out of bison, they make it out of uh, black Angus, they make it out of Japanese Wagyu, and I got you a discount, 12.5% off all orders at Anson's Land of Biltong, and the discount code is already in your MSB, so I'm going to tell you, you need to stretch your money when by the time we're done with this show, so 12.5%, that'll help stretch your money if you want to load up on some Biltong and other just delicious stuff. And again, this is made right. All right, let's get into this. So I want to start out, what happened over just for where we're starting, and we're going to go further back today too, but over just over the last 15 years, what has occurred? How do we get from where we were 15 years ago, which was, you know, about the, the beginning of the 08 crisis, but things were, well, they recovered pretty quick, as you'll see, to a place where we are now, where we have, you know, umpteen trillion dollars in debt, umpteen trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities, and runaway inflation. And if you look back, just to like the, the orange man years, the Trump years, the economy seemed pretty great. Now, there were those of us who told you it wasn't, 
but it seemed pretty good. And it seemed like, hey, no matter how bad this is, we are just, it's far away. It's somebody else's problem. Enjoy the party while the music is going. And everybody wants to blame COVID, but you're going to see today that the COVID impact on all this stuff, it was gas on the fire, but the fire was raging anyway. You know, maybe it accelerated it a year or two. The truth is when it started, it actually slowed it down, this, this, this progress toward this kind of end, economic end game for the U.S. dollar. I'll just come out and say it because that's, that's what I see. But the market bottomed out back in 2009 in February. And for those that are on the uh, video, I've got a chart up for you, just the Dow Jones Industrial. And you can see it bottomed out right about here. Um, right about there, February, mid-February, late February is the bottom. And that put the Dow at about 7,000, a little over 7,000. You can see that right before that, we were at an all-time high of about 13,895, right around 13,900. Well, it took to get back to that all-time high. It took us uh, till February 2013. It took us five years to get back to where we were before the giant crash. It's actually not that bad of a recovery time. If you go back and look at how long it took us to get back to the all-time high before the Great Depression crash, it was decades. World War II was done and gone. We were in the 60s before we came back to where we were in 1929. I think it was 1964, if I remember right. So this was a relatively fast recovery from what could be argued because of the situation, a much larger crisis than what occurred during the Great Depression because the market is what triggered the crash of the Depression. Real estate defaults are what triggered the crash of the market in 0809. That's a more cancerous problem, really. But, you know, we have the money printer go burst. So they were able to buy us back into the market and into a recovered economy much more quickly. But if you look at this graph and then when you zoom out, that crash doesn't look that bad, does it? It's a little dip down. You know, when in doubt, zoom out and you see the overall trend. Well, if you look at this, this giant crash right here, that's COVID. That's the, the full impact. That's the bottom from COVID. And that brought us down all the way to 21,000 on the Dow. And that is actually a much deeper crash than this one right here, which is the one we're talking about, 0809. Except it's very, very short-lived. They really pump money in. But what happened is during this time, all of this mess for a moment slowed down because inflation is the real killer in all this. And this artificial prosperity has been balancing the inflation out with increased wages and people feeling good because their 401k looks good. So even though they shouldn't be spending money, they're spending it because, well, every time I look at my 401k statement, I have a little bit more money in it. I feel a little bit better. I feel secure about my future. So I can be stupid with the money in my hands. And again, COVID hits, dinks it down, goes right back up. But if you look at the total trajectory, it's pretty much from the 0809 bottom forward, nothing but up. And the economy kind of felt that way. And there was a lot of stuff that went on during this period of time 
that people you know looked at as uh, being uh, crisis type things, but overall it seemed pretty good. So as it continued to seem pretty good, people put more money on credit cards. The lending policies that were tightened were loosened back up. And then they threw the gas on the fire with all the stimulus checks and all the bullshit that went along with COVID. And at the same time, we had a supply crunch and we got this big pop of inflation. And Biden gets a lot of blame for it. And Biden deserves some of the blame. But I'm going to tell you, you would have had a big ass pop of inflation if Donald Trump was still president. And if you had miraculously pulled some rabbit out of a hat and taken somebody you like and put them in as president, got rid of both of those guys, you're still going to have this. What you have to understand is, and as we go through this today, you'll see the way the pieces lined up. Where we are right now is an inevitable, inevitable consequence of the type of monetary system and monetary policy that we have run as a nation and really globally with all of our partner nations that are part of this stupidity, there's nowhere else you could be. Now, you might be a little further from the precipice or a little further over it, depending on some policy issues. But this is this is where you're going to end up. If you get on I-95 in Jacksonville and you head north, you will eventually end up in Pennsylvania. I promise you. It's just a thing, right? You're going to end up where you're going to end up once you get on the road. You can speed or slow down the car. You can take a few stops, you know, instead of taking a long stop, a short stop. You can delay or accelerate your arrival. But once you're on, and don't even think of it like a highway. It's more like a train track, right? You, you're, you ain't getting off. And this is, this is where we are. And things are harsh right now. From the time we're talking about, in, in 2008, 2009, we had about $12 trillion in debt. We sit here 14 years later, $32 trillion in debt, $32 trillion in debt. To drive home the fact that you're kind of hitting a point where there's no way to taper this anymore. The Congress came to a deal on the national uh, debt limit, the, the, the debt ceiling, in June and between and it's not even a full month it took to add another trillion dollars to the debt lift the debt ceiling we're a trillion dollars deeper in debt now we won't continue a trillion a month of new debt but if you look at the projections on the national debt clock what we're going to we're going to average over the coming years is about $4 trillion a year of new debt between now and 2027. And that might be a little bit conservative and it'll probably be worse. So, you know, you're looking at almost $50 trillion in debt. It'll be high 40s by 2027. 2027 ain't that far away. There is, and, and Joe's saying $32 trillion in national debt. There's no way to fix this. We can blame our leaders, but people who voted for them are the real problem. Again, Joe, I agree with the first part. The second part, it doesn't matter. Vote for whoever you want and even somehow magically get them to win without a complete restructuring of this economic system. This is where we end up. You can put Ron Paul in the presidency. We're still, like, especially now, there is no fixing. You could put Ron Paul in, in the White House in near 2000, and we probably wouldn't be as far along as we are, but we would still be going to the same place. It doesn't matter. The system is the problem. 
And until we realize the system is the problem, we'll continue to delude ourselves into believing there is some way out of this. If we just get the right, no, the right people can't fix this now. The only way to fix this is a bloodbath of pain that no politician has the guts to deal with. So it won't happen until it's, it happens on its own. And then the politicians in charge will say, it's not my fault. It was the last guy. Now here's the emergency and we need to vote the chancellor emergency powers, right? That's, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. And uh, let's let's move on uh, from there. Um, interest from 2000 to 2023. Let's go back 23 years. And let me pull this up just to refresh you guys as to what has gone on in 23 years. And this this is some highlights of of what happened uh, in two, year 2000. We had a budget surplus and 5.6 trillion in debt. And uh, 2001, we had the 9-11 attacks and an emergency bailout uh, that we did with the, uh, the market. 2002, we really ramped up the war on terror. The Iraq war began in earnest in 03, right? Iraq war continued in 04 to be the biggest thing that happened. 05, the Bankruptcy Act and Hurricane Katrina hit. Uh, Bernanke was put in as chief of the Fed in 06. We had the banking crisis in 07. We had a bank bailout and quantitative easing in 08 with a bailout cost of 250 billion in 09. Um, we added 40 billion, 400 billion to, uh, to doling out money in 2010. Payroll tax holiday ended. The Obama tax cuts came. The ACA was introduced. Uh, the debt crisis happened again in 2011 and tax cuts reduced revenue to the government, which is not really how that works. 2012, we ran up against the fiscal cliff. That's a fancy way of saying they needed to raise the debt limit again. Now we're up to 16 trillion in debt from starting at about 6 trillion in debt. Yeah. Then 2013, we had the sequester and the government shutdown. QE was ended in 2014, even though it wasn't. It was officially ended. They were still buying debt. Oil prices fell off a cliff in 2015. This stimulated the economy because the cost of energy controls the cost of everything else. Um, in 2016, Brexit happened. It's still really much ado about nothing. Congress raised the debt ceiling in 2017. In 2018, we had the Trump, tra Trump tax cuts where the Democrats said he just gave you breadcrumbs, but somehow they wanted the breadcrumbs back. Uh, then we had the trade wars of the Orange Man's administration. We had COVID-19 in 2020, COVID-19 in 2021, and the American Rescue Plan Act, which is pumping a bunch of money in. And then the Inflation Reduction Act, which was absolutely the opposite of what it says. More money printing and more spending does not reduce inflation. And student loan forgiveness that never happened, and that's where our chart ends. And it's really important to understand there's a column here I didn't read. I want to go up to the top here. Debt to GDP ratio. In 1929, our debt to GDP ratio was 16%. Now, if I come back up here to where we started in 2000, our debt to GDP ratio was 55%, which under our monetary system ain't that bad because of the way that it's run. It ain't good, but it ain't that bad. Our, our debt to GDP ratio as of 2022, 
123%. And the reality is, this is a harsh reality, that GDP ratio is bullshit. And it's bullshit because I didn't have that up the whole time. But that's all right. You guys you guys understood what I was saying, I guess. I'm sorry I didn't have that chart up. I'm going to pull that chart up for you guys here. I do have a link. It's, it's hard to do this alone. And you can see all of the stuff I was just talking about. You can see our, our debt-to-GDP ratio hit 101% for the first time in 2014. And it ended up at 123% as of last year. And what I was saying there is... We have changed how GDP is calculated to artificially increase it so the ratio is worse. Now, there's in the past like 200 years, there's about 50 incidences of debt to GDP in nations throughout the world going over 140%. And all but like two of them went into full on collapse. And just the currency just disintegrated. We're there. I don't care if it says 120. We're, we're up over 100, 140%, 150% debt-to-GDP ratio. If we calculated GDP the way that it was calculated in the past, one of the shenanigans that they pulled is they, start, they actually started putting pension fund obligations into GDP as realized, meaning when a company would figure out, hey, we're going to have to um, – we're going to have to pay out X millions of dollars in pension funds, you know, 10 years from now. And that calculation was made this year. That obligation was locked in this year. They put that in as GDP for this year instead of the way it used to be calculated was, well, when you pay it out, it actually goes into the economy. So that's GDP. And that's 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 lunacy that that was ever done. But it's kind of the law of the land and the way things are now. So based on the law of averages, we have a 99% potential for the U.S. dollar to crash and burn hard, crash and burn hard. And I want you to think about something with inflation and what it's really like that will make you understand how shitty an investment the dollar is right now. Yes, I said an investment. It's a shitty investment. And a lot of the world buys the investment because it's the best one they have access to for now, at least in their minds. I want you to imagine you buy stock in a company and you're kind of a rich dude, right? But you're not very smart. and You don't have good lawyers. So you throw a bunch of money at this company and it's beginning to grow and you feel pretty good about it. And you throw enough money at it. And this is a big company, like a publicly traded one. And you own 1% of the company. Now, 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but if we're talking about a company with billions of dollars in profit, you're pretty happy. Well, next investment cycle the company has a loophole where they can just issue more shares and they issue 10% more shares. They grow the shareholder count or the share count by 10%. You now own about 0.9% of the company. You see how that works. And they do this every year over and over again. They keep creating more shares and they, when they create more shares, they're diluting shareholder value. How would you feel as the investor in that company? Wouldn't you think, like, it's time to get out of this invest? If they're going to keep just making more shares all the time, I can't continue to hold this stock and have my position devalued. If you had your shares in a company continuously diluted for decades on end, you probably wouldn't stay an investor in that company. That's the dollar. That's what inflation really is. 
Every time they print more money, they dilute the value of the shares you hold in the United States. That's how you should look at your dollars. They are shares, investment shares in the United States of America. And you're having your shares diluted on a continuous, ongoing basis. And it's the plan. And they tell you straight to to your face. That's what they're going to do to you. And you say, okay, and you keep doing it. And Joe says he doesn't mind the barking in the background. That bark means open the door or clean up the floor. So it's not so much... Uh, that I'm worried about the noise. It's that that was a, hey, dude, do this for me now. Uh, dogs don't care about the news. They care about their needs. And that was, uh, that was a clear indication. So anyway, um, on top of all this, to fuel this fire, they're like, we need people spending money. Well, this is a debt-based economy. So what fuels spending is cheap debt. The more cheap debt we have, the more spending there'll be, and the better the economy will be for everybody. So we began a policy of cutting interest rates to the bone. And so people now look at an an interest rate on a mortgage of 6% or 7%, like, oh, my God. Historically, that's a good rate. And for those on the video, I have a chart right now of interest rates from 1971 to 2023. Now, isn't it interesting that all of the absolute effing misery begins in 1971. What the F happened in 1971? The, the termination of the vestiges of the gold standard. And by 1982, interest rates were up around 18 freaking percent. That's why if you buy a house that was built from about 1975 all the way up to about 1985, you're going to find that there's a lot of shortcuts in the build. The build quality of a house from 75 to 85 is not as good as the build quality of a house from, let's say, 1985 to about 2000. There's shitty build quality there, too, but it was really shitty. This house that I'm sitting in right now was built in 1978. That's about right here, about 15% interest rate when this house was built. And I can tell you, as the owner of it, who's fixed up a ton of stuff, there were a lot of shortcuts taken in this house. And so we had these mortgage rates, again, that were up over 10% for a huge period of time. Then they began to fall, and they really began to fall in earnest in the 90s. And on top of the interest rates going down, the people that were in charge of the country decided that everybody deserved the right to buy a house. Yes, the right. It didn't matter whether a person could afford a house or not. You're a racist. You're a, and I know that sounds like modern wokeism. No, this shit was going on 20, 20, 25 years ago. George Bush, the second, walked into Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, I don't remember which one, and said, I want three million new minority um, homeowners before I run for reelection as a directive by the president. Well, what are you going to do? You, you start figuring out ways to approve mortgages. And we had the mortgage crisis, but we learned nothing from it. They basically bailed as many people out as they could. The banks took houses, repackaged them, and continued to cut interest rates. And so all this did, all this did, all this time of these mortgage rates being so low in the 2000s and ending up like between 2010 and about 2020, interest rates in the 3 to 4% range were really, really common. They reduced the cost of a house payment. They didn't make housing cheaper. 
They made housing payments cheaper, which meant people could spend more money on houses. And they jacked up the real estate to unreasonable levels. Now when interest rates return to something that's you know kind of normal for a mortgage interest rate to be in the 6-7% range, think of what you're asking for from a lender. I want you to tie your money up with risk, with some underlying collateral, and the risk declines over time. So it's not a huge risk, but it's a risk investment. And I want you to tie it up for 30 years, and you're going to earn 3% on your money. And right away, you realize that's a ridiculous request from an investor side. Like, I'm not tying money up for 30 years for 3%. That's why I'm willing to borrow it, and that's part of the plan. That's how you manipulate an economy. So then real estate boomed. People kept buying bigger and bigger houses. And now when you add the interest rate on top of the artificial inflation of the underlying property value, you have a generation of people. Somewhat legitimately, somewhat not legitimately, somewhat excuse making for now. I can't ever, I will never ever be able to afford to buy a house. I'm going to tell you if you're 22 years old and you feel that way, so did everybody else at the time. My first house that I bought was in the year 1999 or 98, and I think my interest rate was 7.5%. 7.5%. And it was hard to do. I had to work really hard to save up enough money for a 3% down loan. Really hard. I was making like 16 bucks an hour at the time. And uh, it's always hard to get into that first house. It's always hard. But now it is getting harder and harder and harder. And at the same time, all the other problems continue. Um, Credit card debt fell for a while in between there. And it wasn't really that the debt itself fell, but the, the growth of credit card debt fell. Now people are up against the wall. They feel they can't make it. So credit card debt is exploding again, and the interest rates on the credit card debt is exploding again. There's tons of people that were always able to service the debt on their credit card. They thought, oh, we'll put a little bit more on it, and they didn't know because they're uninformed that they had a variable interest rate on their credit card, and their interest rate doubled. It doubled. Interest rates during this whole time we're talking about effectively were zero. I know you didn't pay zero, but interbank lending was effectively zero. And this made all kinds of back-end shenanigans where the banks were willing to take, you know, if I can get money for a quarter point, I can buy a T-bill, a one-year T-bill for, for a half point and make a quarter point in arbitrage, and the government's telling me to buy bonds, I'll do it. You're going to give me the money, let me buy the bond to create artificial this incest going on. And this went on the whole time, too. And so you end up, Heading into where we are right now. And the Fed did every, the only thing they really could with a directive to make the economy as good as possible. Lower rates, right? Lower rates and pump money into the economy. And now we're approaching what I would call a Zugswang, which I'm sure I did pronounce properly because it's a German word. Zugzwang is in chess where you make a move, and it hasn't ended the game. But every move your opponent has is bad, and they have the initiative, and they have to make a move. And they have to make a bad move. They have to make a move that will weaken their position, even though their position at the moment doesn't look that weak. 
But the very fact that they have to move anything anywhere has now resulted in the game's pretty much over. It, it, like it might go five more uh, or six more uh, moves. And a lot of times in a professional chess match, when this point is reached, the opponent will resign, knowing the inevitability is now there. There is no good move. That's where we are. The Fed is in a zug's lane. Com- combined inflation for the last two years, over 24 months, using their numbers, 12.3%. 12.3%. So when they tell you something like, inflation's only 2.9% now, it's based on their numbers, and it's based on the current last, so it's like June to June in between there. And, of course, you're going to have inflation slow because it's harder to move now. You've, you've tapped it out. Like, people, you're reaching a point where they can't buy shit. So unless you start pouring money on it again, super cut of interest rates again, which you can't do because it's running. Like, the only thing tapering inflation right now is inflation itself. Monetary policy really can't do it at this point. And so the only, so the, the only thing they could do now is raise rates. If all you had that you could do to try to improve things in the past was cut them and you cut them to zero, once you're at zero, what do you do? And when zero works the way you plan, which is to create an artificial boom and you want to slow the boom down, what do you do? Raise rates. And some will say, well, go to a gold standard. We'll talk to Russia and China about that because they're about to do it. I'm going to tell you about that. But we're not going to do that. And we can't. Hard money right now will kill the U.S. dollar faster. Because we can't afford to pay the debt. They have one play that they can make now. And they're going to do it, and it will end in disaster. But the only way they can do this is to cut the debt in half by doubling inflation over the next 10 years. They can talk all they want about it being low, but you know how they manipulate that. Here's what comes next. The clowns in charge are going to start admitting that the dollar is going to lose global dominance. And if we've had incidences of it pop up everywhere in the past couple months. And it's guys that are like one off. So it won't be like the chairman of the Fed. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) He kind of said it, but he couched it a little bit. But how about like the former manager of the S&P 500? Yeah. Just said dollar is going to remain a major currency, but lose global dominance. And so you're going to hear more and more of this. And what they do is they started out on the periphery to get people's mind around the thing, the th- concept of, well, it's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. We have controlled the world largely through a global dollarized standard for a long time, a long time. And many of our partners, people that we consider very close allies, are doing business with people we consider adversaries outside of the dollar, like Japan doing business with China outside of the dollar. You know, Russia and China doesn't surprise anybody right now that they would do business in their own currencies. But when you start hearing people, and you're not just talking about some random ass clown on Twitter or Substack, you're talking about people that are part of the mainstream financial network saying it. Those people don't say shit like that until they're told it's okay and you're allowed to do it. That's a club that you can be kicked out of. If nothing, you know, if nothing else, you can be blackballed from all the fancy events and things like that, even if you keep your money. Those people, they talk when they're told to talk, and they say what they're told to say. So that's the narrative you're hearing now. 
the sanction blowback will continue. And this is probably the single biggest piece of, of news right now that's going on um, that you're not being told about uh, with Russia and Brazil, Russia, India, China, the BRICS nations. And uh, I had a video to play for you guys, and I don't know what happened to it. So I'll just bring up the, uh, the article that I have here, and I'll see if I can find that video. But the BRICS nations are about to roll out a, um, a gold-backed currency. Now, as I've dug more into this, as I've dug more into this, I actually am not sure it's going to be a fully a gold-backed currency. I'm not sure about that. There is some scuttlebutt that it actually will include gold, but will also have a commodity basket in it. So, you know, maybe steel or timber or copper or some things that are seen like as collateral against this currency. And yet they're saying you'll be able to cash this currency in for gold, a specific gold. Okay. Either of those is bad for the dollar. Either of those is bad for the dollar. The BRICS nations, and you're talking about five countries that now have a combined GDP higher than the G7. That's what we're part of. The global leaders, the global economic leaders, uh, the, the BRICS G GDP now exceeds ours. Everybody ignored this. I, I was talking about BRICS rising to dominance in 2009, 2010, and I was ridiculed for it. I was ridiculed for it. Like, ah, they're nothing. China's got its own problems. Yeah, China has its own problems. Ours are just worse. And there's over 40 nations right now. See, again, we live in this bubble. We don't think it really matters what Uganda does or some of these little African countries. When they all go together, it does matter. And there is a tremendous interest in joining the BRICS block and doing business as the BRICS block within their own community. Don't you think that if you're another nation, you have to take a serious look at this, especially if you're a nation that's been kind of left out of the party and shit on? So, I mean, the sanction blowback is a big part of this, too. There's a lot of countries that don't necessarily like Russia. But Russia had a huge amount of gold reserves, and almost all, this is a stupid thing countries have done for a very long time. Russia's gold reserves were mostly held outside of Russia. Most countries' gold reserves are held outside of their country. The way somebody can go move it around when transactions are made because you can't make gold digital. Huh. Seems like a problem. Well, about half of Russia's gold reserves outside of Russia were seized under the sanctions for the Ukraine-Russia war. And I don't think it matters what side you take on this. If you're a nation and your gold reserves are outside of your nation's borders and you look at that and you look at Russia having their gold seized, don't you think, hey, I get along with these people right now, but shit shifts. Might they do this to me? And what if you're a nation like, we don't really have a problem, but we're not exactly friendly with each other. So countries all over the world are repatriating their gold right now. And Russia is buying gold and stacking gold inside Russia's borders as part of this play. So there's this, there's this migration away from the dollar because so many nations just looked at this and said, wait a minute, I don't think I'm okay with this. And I want you to think about it. It's something a little bit closer to home, right? 
when we had the Canadian trucker protests and so many of you got woken up to wait, they can just shut down your bank account. You're like, well, they might do that. You're not Canadian. You didn't give money to the Canadian truckers. But you're like, well, wait, 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 Ass clown Trudeau can just say to do it and they can just shut your money off. And you go, wait a minute, maybe they'll do that to me someday. Now be a country and think about it. Our national wealth can be seized. Our assets can be seized. We need an alternative. Also bad for that share of stock called the U.S. dollar. The U.S. is going to absolutely refuse to do the one thing we could do right now to make this better. We're going to refuse to do it because we're complicit in this and we want to do it. And that is we are not going to rebuild our production and infrastructure. We are going to continue to rely on China. The fact that we're not making raw materials for antibiotics in our country for our people after what happened and the threats that came out of China during COVID is criminal. It's criminal. You're talking about one of the most important medications and we can't make it without China. We import so much. And this isn't about a trade war or anything. We need to at least have the capacity here to meet the minimum needs of our people without relying on a country that we're talking about going to war with. We're talking about going to war with China over Taiwan. And I don't care what your opinion of the situation is. It's insanity when China can go, oh, no penicillin for you, and we're screwed. And so many other things that we rely on China for that they can just cut us off. Not to mention what they can do to us economically if they start dumping all the U.S. treasuries that they hold, our debt that they hold, by devaluing the treasuries. So when you sell a bunch of something really fast, you push the price down again, think the stock market. Oh, and they could do that and take all that money. This is just printed money that they printed to buy our printed money with anyway and use it to stock up on gold reserves. China could completely and totally cripple the United States of America right now. And unless we're going we're gonna to invade China to turn it back on, there's nothing we can do about it. And we won't do anything to change that. I'm telling you right now, and, and this is where people get pissed at me, like, well, you're advocating that I'm not advocating shit. I'm telling you we're not going to do it. Reelect the orange man, make him 47. He ain't going to do it. He might throw a tariff or two at him, but he's not going to fix the problem underneath. So we have this massive stock crash of the dollar with no plan to do anything where at least we could take the money while it still works and fix the country and fix its infrastructure. Our infrastructure is shit. And every time they pass some infrastructure legislation, it doesn't do jack shit to actually fix our roads and bridges. We can't afford to do it. We can't afford to do it. The funny money has made the cost of putting a road in cost prohibitive. And like I said on Monday, this is while our neighborhoods are hitting a critical mass of falling in due to maintenance issues that people now don't have the money to fix. So you have a collapsing infrastructure, a collapsing currency, a co and a, co a collapsed system of production, and no one even talks about fixing this because they're not going to. Because the plan is basically we've been in charge for so long we need to let other people be in charge now. This is why you see completely incompetent people 
put into positions of extreme power. The vice president of the United States right now could not could not get an 85 on an IQ score. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced this woman is stupid. She's the second most powerful person in the world. We have an Alzheimer's patient, whether you believe it or not, for president. We've got a person in charge of our health care system that is a person with a mental illness because the mental illness is transgenderism. We have a guy with an extremely weird fetish who also steals expensive luggage in charge of our nuclear waste. And he doesn't know anything about nuclear waste at all. He has zero qualifications. You can't have that happening. You can't have that happening without it being a plan. You can't do this bad without it being a plan. And and, and, and Prepper Book Club says, why do people fall upwards, right? Well, in this case, they're actually being shoved upwards. Like, the place they failed was three layers back. Usually failing upwards means people fail up into their highest level of incompetence. So usually they're okay at the, the second to last position and they get promoted into a position where they just kind of tread water and hang on and they don't get promoted anymore. These people passed that three or four times ago. Kamala Harris was above her pay grade when she was the AG of California. She's that stupid. And the only word for that, that woman is stupid. And I'm not picking on her specifically because there's lots of examples. She's the most in your face one. Biden I've never liked. But I cannot like somebody and not like somebody's policies to say, but they, he was competent. And he's always an idiot, but he also was a, kind of a competent idiot in the past. If you go listen to Joe Biden from the 1990s, he's got his, when he had his faculties mostly, he lied a lot and bullshitted a lot, but he was competent at getting things done. She's just stupid. And... You know, I know that there's people that think, but she'll never be president unless Biden dies, and then they'll probably get rid of her somehow. Don't you believe that for a second? There is a much higher probability than you want to believe that Joe Biden will get reelected. Much higher probability than you want to believe. It may not happen, but it's pretty high probability right now. Even if he somehow is held together with duct tape through four more years, But if you have a a vice president with eight years in office, no matter how messed up it is, it's like a shoe-in for the nomination. Nobody will pick her for president. Depends. How much can they villainize the opponents and how many many votes can be um, uh, altered a little bit? Yeah. This is... What did Potato ever do that was good? I don't know who you're asking about when you ask that, uh, Gma Merkel. If you mean uh, Biden as a potato, I didn't say he did it good. I said he was competent. People can do bad things in a competent way. The mafia is very competent at extortion. It doesn't make extortion good. The federal government's very good at stealing money and calling it taxes. It doesn't make it good. Right. Anyway, moving on. Um, the nation's mental and physical health will continue in terminal decline. We will continue to have, like right now, if you go ask at some of these colleges, what, if you ask a student, how would you, would you define yourself as LGBTQ plus I whatever? It's 20, 30% of these students are saying, yes, I am. 
and they look like normal people, but it's like ingrained in their head that that's the right answer. I want to be in the cool kids club where we whack off our wang, right? And if you go ask them, can a, can a man have a baby? Almost 100% of them will tell you, yes, this is a mental illness. I got nothing against gay people. I got nothing against trans people. I don't care. If you want a, a, a five-way polyamorous relationship with every kind of thing weird you can come up with, as long as you don't involve kids, I don't care. Go ahead. But I'm not going to say you're mentally stable because you're not. If you're a man and you literally believe that you are a woman, you are not mentally stable. And that's just part of the mental illness in this country. We have a massive amount of people with depression. Youth suicides are like at an all-time high. Veteran suicides are at an all-time high. I showed you on Monday the growth of type 2 diabetes, which is actually a good health indicator for overall physical health. We have a company called DaVita. Talked about this all the way back in January. Bears repeating here. DaVita is in one business and one business only. Kidney dialysis. That's what they do. They have something like 2,600 dialysis clinics. Each one of them a multi-million dollar billing facility with most of the bills paid for with tax dollars under various government programs for fat people who have diabetes. That's their business model. I mean, there's other reasons people, kidneys fail. There's other reasons people have dialysis, but the growth in a dialysis market is 100% attributable to type 2 diabetes. Do you know what DaVita does is their, their, you know, their social outreach and giving back? They work with the American Diabetes Association, and one of their programs provides recipes that the ADA then takes and puts out and tells diabetics to eat them. And they have shit in it like, in this recipe, add a quarter cup of sugar. Five pounds of bread, honey, oats. Like it's like the worst thing for a diabetic to eat. And this is being done. This is not, I, I didn't like get some inside source and leak it to me. I'm like, where does this come from? It's right on DeVita's website. What we do, dialysis, recipes for diabetics. And they say it's for your kidney health. Very interesting is this is healthy for your kidneys. Not for your diabetes. We'll let the ADA do that because they can get away with anything. Now, guys, you have a nation now with the, the money falling apart, the infrastructure falling apart, the health of the people falling apart, the mental health of the people falling apart, and the skill set of the people falling apart. Do you really think that there's any hope of this getting fixed anytime soon? Because if you do, I'd like to get you out of the world of unicorns. And, and, and rainbow farting unicorns and into the real world so you can be prepared for this. And I'm going to tell you something else about it. And it's already happening, isn't it? Any of you who say I will not participate in this nonsense, I will be in physical shape. I will eat a proper human diet, whatever that means to you. I'll work out. I'll exercise. I'll take care of myself. I will have children. I will raise them right. As this implodes, we get all the blame. I'm promising you right now we're going to get all the blame. MSNBC just had an article out. The extreme right's obsession with fitness is going digital. Now, there's an interesting thing about that article that a lot of people saw it, and I think they're like, oh, typical shit, but you didn't notice. That article's a year old. They retweeted it to get it going again. 
So if you work out, you're extreme MAGA and you're a racist and a misogynist and everything else. We will be attacked and blamed for everything. Do the right thing anyway. Do the right thing because this is typical. How do I know that? Because it's happening, but it's also history. Americans as a people, I talked about this with John and Nicole at our our chat on Tuesday, are going to run out of ways to cut corners and stretch, you know, stretch pennies, rub two nickels together and make a quarter. Like, we're almost out of ways to do that. We're almost out of ways to simply make your money go further by changing your spending habits and all. Now, there's plenty of people still spending money they don't have. But I'm saying people that are trying to actually live on a budget and they've tried all the tricks. Like you can only eat so many meals of ramen noodles a a week before you you need other food. There's only so many ways you can cut your electric bill or your phone bill and things like that. So on both discretionary and non-discretionary spending, we're just going to run out of ways to do this. And we are right now. And that's the actual reason inflation growth is slowing. And don't ever let them tell you inflation is going down. It is not. The growth is slowing. Inflation will never go down, actually go into deflation for any period of time in this country under this monetary system because they will not allow it to happen until it's it's too late. And the only way that's going to happen is a complete implosion instead of an explosion. But in the end, inflation is constant. And all you have is a change in the rate of up, steeper and shallower, but always up. And once you hit the point of, but I don't have the money anymore, then you get into a crisis. They blame us. And what comes next? The war on agriculture and meat has to really come to America because it hasn't yet. We see it. But we see it in our bubble. We see them doing it in the Netherlands. We see them doing it in Germany. It's going to come here. They don't want us eating meat. They want us eating gruel. And do you know why? Because that's what you feed slaves. You feed slaves low-end gruel. You make them fat. You reduce male and female hormones and males and females, respectively. You create a bunch, you go out and castrate yourself a bunch of bulls. You fix yourself all the cows you don't want breeding. And you get a nice compliant herd and you decide who breeds with who and you feed them gruel and then they obey you. And then if they don't obey you, you cut off the gruel supply and that cow that was getting a little mean or that bull that was getting a little mean shuts up and complies. Put a ring in his nose and drag him anywhere you want him to go because he knows when he gets there he's going to get fed. And that's all he can do. This is how you domesticate an animal. This is what's being done to us. And a big part of it is convincing you that eggs will kill you, right? Because they've tried that. We've covered that this year. Eggs cause cancer. Shut up. But that's what they're going to do. And it keeps working. You have to understand that if a person right now is under 30, they tend to believe all the things that you know are bullshit. Now, if you're under 30 and you don't, then you should know that you're the exception, not the rule. And this whole system of education, indoctrination, is set up to keep programming this. And if you think that I'm going too far with this right now, just look at the difference between 2013 and 2023 in things like the transgendered bullshit, 
can men have babies? And what do you think the next 10 years bring on top of all these other problems? Again, war on agriculture. Anyone who adapts and finds success, which is what I'm going to tell you to do in a minute, that's what you should do. We need to build in the blood. But we'll be attacked. If you're healthy, you'll be attacked. If you have a successful business, you'll be attacked. If you have money beyond your needs, you will be attacked. Tax the rich. And what they're talking about is a homesteader with a few pigs. See, the serfs were always the problem. The serfs were always the problem for the industrialists. If you go back and read some of the writings, not the public so much writings of John Locke, but like correspondence between John Locke and his contemporaries, they, had a, they called it the serf problem. How do we get to, you think the serf had it bad, but the serf didn't have it so bad. It's like, how do we get these guys into our factories? They kill a couple pigs a year. They got their little farm. Why the hell would they? And they, how do we fix that? History doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And it's rhyming right now. If you are a homesteader, especially a successful one, you're a target. You're hated. You're a weirdo. You're an extremist. If you're like, all I really want is to be left alone to raise my family and not bother anybody, you're an extremist, borderline terrorist. You're definitely a racist, but I'm black. You know, someone will say, I'm this person and I'm black. Well, they'll say you're the new face of white, white supremacy. Larry Elder, radio host, black guy, really like him too, by the way, had the nerve to run for governor in California, and they said he was the new face of white supremacy. And people believe it. Tim Scott, new face of white supremacy, and people believe it. This is how stupid we've gotten. I'm not talking about fixing it. I'm talking about anybody that steps out and is successful when stepping out. They're the enemy. That's you. You need to do it anyway. Um, we will all this will all be used for the most famous words that government always says right before they do something really stupid. We have to do something. Well, anybody think of the children gender affirming care, right? Like this will all be used for the new solution, the new solution. And the new solution will be some form of central bank digital currency with a complete throttle control of all money that flows within the economy that is in the form of U.S. dollars. We may end up following suit of, you know, the bricks and do something with gold. That could happen. And we won't have to buy a bunch of gold. We'll just use the gold that's in Fort Knox. Well, wait a minute. Um, we haven't audited that, well, ever. How do we know it's there? Trust us. It's there. We <laughs> let something like that get in the way. I'm sure they can produce 10 guys to go down there with protractors and pocket protectors and say they audited it anyway. If it is there, it's there. If it's not, it won't matter. I guarantee you there's some there. That may happen, but it won't matter. Gold backing a currency doesn't make it magical. You can still manipulate it. You can still lie about it. And you can still control it digitally because it doesn't mean that you'll be spending gold coins because it's not practical. They know this. They're not stupid. And that's what they'll do. They're going to have to do something. And the entire movement is in Klaus Schwab's words, you'll own nothing, be happy, and eat the bucks. What they want to do is they want to move everything to a rental economy. No one owns anything. And this is how they're going to sell it. 
You haven't heard this yet, but this is going to become the narrative very soon. The reason we want to do that is to make corporations ethically responsible. Because they're responsible for the item at its end of life, and therefore they have every incentive to make it recyclable, reusable, or long-lasting. And take something like carpet. You buy carpet, you know it has a life expectancy. You know it has to go away, it ends up in a landfill. Well, if you leased your carpet, then the company that made the carpet would have to take it back. They would be responsible for its removal and disposal, and they wouldn't bear the expense of that. And so they're going to make it recyclable, reusable in some way, and be more environmentally conscious and fix global warming with your carpet and you owning nothing and being happy. They don't want people to have private ownership of homes anymore. There's a lot of money to be made as a landlord. Imagine if all the homes were owned by landlords. This is the new version of rent-taking. Rent-taking is where you put an artificial gate around a resource that everybody was just happy using the way it was, and you take a piece of the action, and you guild and control access to the resource. This is the newest form of rent-taking. People think the word rent-taking means that it's like landlords are bad. That's not what rent-taking means at all. I, I can't get into it today, but that's not what it means. And that's exactly what it's going to be, ethical responsibility. A new age where corporations are good environmental and global citizens and serve people while protecting the planet. Now, take the words I just said, remove my sarcasm, put some good-looking politician in a suit or a pantsuit, have them say that to the 30-somethings that very soon will be 40-somethings, by the way. You know, when I started this show 15 years ago and I talked about millennials, I was talking about teenagers. Now I'm talking about kids that are in their 30s. Some of the millennials today are the age I was when I started this show. 10, 15 years goes like that. That whole bubble of stupid is aging and being replaced with more stupid. We are 10 years away from a super majority of stupid in our country. Politically stupid, morally stupid. Physically sick, mentally ill, a supermajority that will have complete, total political dominance. And they're all going to be very, very, very angry when their promised utopia goes kapust and blows up in their face. And they have no food and they're hungry and they're going to blame you. They're going to blame their contemporaries that weren't stupid, that stayed out of this shit. That's why you don't want to be in the high population density flashpoint areas. You really don't. Yes, idiocracy, Tom says. This is this actually idiocracy would be a utopia compared to this. In the idiocracy, mostly those people didn't bother anybody. They just pretty much went on about their own thing, right? This is like idiocracy, but the idiots are attacking everybody. It's like idiocracy, the war or something, the economic war. Um, so what are we going to do about this? I won't say much about it. We did a Bitcoin breakout this week, but I'm going to tell you, buy Bitcoin and self-custody. You, you, you need to do that. That needs to be part of what you do. And I always say this. I'll go ahead and pull this up on the screen really quick here. This is my Bitcoin tools page. It's at the Bitcoinbreakout.com. All you got to do is go to the Bitcoinbreakout.com and click on Bitcoin tools. And you can see that I have, Everything you need to get started stacking Bitcoin. 
places to buy it, how to store it, services to use, ways you can earn it for free, all kinds of stuff I have for you just sitting right there. You don't want to buy Bitcoin, don't buy Bitcoin. I don't care. That's fine. But I'm not going to not give you that piece of advice when we're talking about this. I'm just not going to leave it out because it is the number one thing you can do to ensure that you not only have a, a scarce asset that is defensible, but you can transfer that asset if you need to for value from another person. All right. So I'm going to not leave that out today, but that's that's all we got on it. Um, the next unique thing you need to do, you need to create income streams. You need a business. You need a side hustle. You need another business and another side hustle. You need to create as many ways to have money flow into you as possible right now. And I know some of you are the people that just will never be an entrepreneur. Well, then you need to think of some other way to generate additional income. You know, you don't have to, like, start a creator business like I have here or something like that. You can, you can create cash flow by being a landlord would be one way. And pay almost no tax on it. Or you need to side hustle. Get out and deliver Uber or some shit. Man, I tell people all the time, you know, there, I know people that this is their thing. All of the things that they can do like that, Uber Eats and uh, DoorDash and all, they have all the apps on their phone all the time when they're driving around on the weekend or whatever. And all they do is when there's a good one that's going to pay well, they take that one. They cherry pick. I know one person that makes an average of $300 a weekend. That's an extra $1,200 a month. You know, that guy is an entrepreneur. Many of you guys know who he is. But you need to have as much money as possible going into this. And you need as much diversity in that money going into this as you can get. Right? Um, if you don't, you will find that it'll, it's easy. It, it, you, can, you can say it's hard. Well, it will only get harder. It will only get harder. You need to start now. Even if there's going to be opportunities that aren't here yet, the person that knows how to do this will capitalize on those those opportunities much quicker. Um, build up reserves of all your needs. So be a prepper. Money, food, tools, knowledge. And when you buy things, do what I always said, price to value ratio. The best and longest lasting you can afford relative to the need. You, you're going to realize we are very quickly, faster than you than you will believe, going to head to a place where even if right now you're the kind of person, this thing broke, I'll just order another one. It'll be here in two days from Amazon. You won't be able to do it anymore, not responsibly anyway. The throwaway society is going to start to die, not because people are going to get tired of throwing stuff away. They're not going to be able to afford to. You know, who here had grandparents that lived through the Depression? And when I start to say what I'm going to say, you're going to be, I remember that, that they would do things like use containers that food came in to freeze shit in or put stuff in the refrigerator in. And not like here and there with the, like anything, like, you know, jar of mayonnaise is, oh, well, that's a good jar. I'm not throwing that away. How many people had grandfathers, you went into their shop and they had the, the tops of baby food? screwed up into a board and all their screws and washers and nuts, little baby food jars like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you talk to your granddad and say, well, where'd those come from? They were like your, your oldest uncle's baby food jars, and they've been there for 40 years. 
that's the world that we're going to have to, we're going to be forced back into, at least on some levels. So you need long lasting things in your life. Long lasting things. You can't afford to buy cheap and say, I'll just replace it in two years. If you can buy something that'll last you 15 for twice the money, then something will last you two or three years. Buy the one for twice the money. Because the one you're going to buy now is going to go up with inflation too. About the only thing that will be deflationary going forward is what's always been deflationary, technology. That's that technology. And it will include some physical goods, technological physical goods, but basically software, code, services will continue to be deflationary, trending towards zero. When's the last time any of y'all bought a calculator? Did anybody pay for the calculator app you use on your phone? No, because it has a nominal cost of production of zero. So that's the only counterbalance to this is the, the direction technology goes in. And if you can make technology that you can sell for money, you can sell it for very little if you sell it to a lot of people and make a lot of money. Software style products and services, electronic product has very high margins. It's very high margins. That's why I can sell MSB for 50 bucks a year because the only real cost on it is a merchant fee of about a buck 40. So please understand you need to invest in quality at this point. Do not live in fear. Whenever I do a show like this, I always try to make sure you understand. I'm not telling you to be afraid. Be concerned. Take it seriously, but don't live in fear. Be motivated and seek opportunity. There is a saying in investing, and it's by the blood. But there's also a, a saying in investing that you, you can't complete. There's a way that saying is, uh, is used in investing you can't do here. When you say by the blood when you're an investor, what you mean is you better wait until that miserable time has peaked out on the bottom before you buy. Otherwise, you're trying to catch a falling knife and you're the one that ends up bleeding with everybody else. So buy the blood means wait till the decimation and then go in hard and try to time that right. You can't do build the blood that way because you got to build that momentum I was talking about earlier while the fall is coming so that you are totally all in and ready to rear at the bottom of the misery. Because this could be a long fall. And every time you think you're in the blood, we are just beginning to see a little bit of scratch. It looks like carnage until a year later. And you go, gee, that was pretty good back then. So build in the blood. Build during the blood. Build on the way to the blood. Be motivated. There's like problems equal opportunity. Opportunity, when applied, equals income. So see that. Understand that you I, I honestly believe and I, I don't talk a lot about religion or faith or spirituality, but find your version of faith if you do not have one. And mine is way different than most of y'all's. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a member of any revealed religion, as it would be called. I'm personally a deist. I won't get into that today, but that's what I am. I don't care if you're a, a, an avowed atheist you need something here because what we're going to experience is going to be so foreign to most people. You know, part of why it doesn't scare me, I guess, is the way that I grew up. Like, I can do that again. 
I can do that again. We were dead broke. Like I said, we hunted and fished for food. And it wasn't like, oh, it's a byproduct and we get some food. Like, no, literally, we hunted and fished for food. We grew a garden for food. We picked up scrap copper to buy a car. That's what I did when I was a teenager. I bought my first car with scrap copper I picked up from old coal mines. I probably made 30 cents an hour picking that copper up, but it was there, and I needed something to do, and it was summertime, and at the end of summer, I was going to be 16. I wanted a car for my junior year of high school, so I did it. I can live that. I can live that way again if I have to. Most people, including people listening to the sound of my voice, I know some of y'all do have a similar story to me. Most people, though, have never lived in that world. You're going to have to have something to believe in in the words of a famous song, to get through this. So find your something to believe in. And I I would consider that a form of spirituality or faith. If your something to believe in is your family and your abilities and your adaptability, fine. But you're going to need something that says to you, I can get through this. You're going to have to act like a cancer patient that has a chance to live, but not a great one. If that patient's going to make it, they have to believe that they can or they won't, even though they could have. Find your spirituality. Find your faith. Find something to believe in as you move through this if you don't have it. And if you do have it, strengthen it consciously. Because if you don't, then whatever hurt you're in for will be worse. And you'll make more poor decisions. And this is going to be a time where poor decisions have an aggravating multiplier. So there's, if you make a bad decision right now, there's a bad consequence. But if you make that same bad decision five years from now, I'm pretty convinced you're going to have that consequence times 1.5. So figure out how to be rational and calm in the middle of everything going to shit right now so you don't start making stupid, reckless decisions. Like when I tell you to buy Bitcoin, if you're like, I'm just going to cash in my 401k, pay all the penalties and score 100%. I didn't say to do that. Please don't do that. That's that's a poor decision. It's a one-way decision. You can't undo it. You can't undo it. I will tell you this. Those of you who are old enough to start drawing Social Security, you might want to go ahead and do it. You might want to go ahead and do it. You know, you're not quite to, you know, 65 or 67, you know, but you can. When you do the math, you're going to find out that waiting is not that advantageous. And one of the things that's going to completely blow up pretty soon is the Social Security system. And they'll have to save it like Reagan did. And they'll have to do what Reagan did. Raise, raise the age of retirement, raise the rate and raise the, uh, the income cap. And, I, you know, there'll be some bubble of protection around people that are close, but we don't know how that big that bubble is going to be. I would project that the new baseline retirement age of Social Security will go to at least 69. Early will be 67. And, like, you know, we'll be suggested you went to 75. At least. At least. It's going to be misery all around. We, we have unfunded liabilities. Let me check in my notes right here. What the unfunded liabilities are right now. $192 trillion in unfunded liabilities between now and 2050. I know 2050 sounds way out there, but it starts now. It's between now and then. And an unfunded liability 
is a bill we know we have to pay, that we know when we have to pay it, we will not have the money to pay the bill. And a huge portion of that is Social Security. About $22 trillion of that is Social Security. There's about $22 trillion in Social Security payments into the future. We will not have to, we'll have to print the money to pay for it. $22 trillion. Wasn't that long ago, if you told somebody the debt was going to be $22 trillion, they thought you were crazy, and the debt is now what? I said $32 trillion. Unfunded liabilities are way worse than the debt, guys. So my wife is drawing it already at the younger retirement age. We, we looked at that, and we ran the number six ways from Sunday, and we went, there's no way we lose here. There's no way we lose. Um, next, I know I say it all the time. Get in the absolute best mental and physical health you can. Part of that faith is restating your mind into true mental health. And I think we have this such a stigma around mental health to say you're working on improving your mental health implies that you're insane or some kind of major disorder or whatever. You can have no disorders, no delusions, and you can still have a poor state of mental health. And I'll tell you how you know this. A problem comes into your life, and you are devastated by that problem. You're a 35-year-old man. You call your mom. And when you know your mom can't do anything, but you call your the first, you don't call your buddy that can help you. You don't talk to your wife about the problem. You don't sit down and go, what can I come up with? You call your mom the way a woman calls her best friend when she breaks up with somebody, just to feel better. That's your, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying if that's your first response to it, your mental health isn't where it needs to be. You're a grown-ass man in your 30s. Your kids, wife, take care of. You don't call mommy. You stand up as a man and you fix shit for your family. That's just one example. There's plenty of people like this. They work hard. They're good people. They're somewhat informed about what's going on. They love their kids. They love their spouse. But when anything comes into their life, it's a disaster beyond words. Oh, my God, you don't know how bad my life is. That is a very poor mental state to be in. If that's you, you need to fix it. And the way you know that you've overreacted is you separate yourself from the issue and say, if my friend had this happen to him and called me, what would I tell my friend? And you probably think, I wouldn't tell my friend it's the worst thing in the world and your life is over because all he did was lose a job and there's lots of jobs out there. I have a very good friend I served in the Army with. He's this guy. He's my age. He's in his 50s. Anything that happens is the like Eeyore from freaking Winnie the Pooh. Fix that shit. And if you don't have that problem, make sure before you say, I can skip this one, that you're, you're, you're right. Now, if you get in good physical shape, you'll get in good mental shape. I promise you. I promise you. You're going to probably tell me you know some guy that's all mentally screwed up and he's all jacked and all. He's probably on steroids, right? He's probably working out for the wrong reasons. I want to look good or I want to smash people's faces. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about for your age, for your for, for, for who you are and what you are to be in good physical shape. Not taking a bunch of freaking medication. If you don't do this, you're going to have a hard time. Just like the skiing instructor on South Park, you're going to have a bad time, right? That's what, that's what I'm saying. Get the absolute hell 
out of the Flashpoint cities and the Beltway suburbs around them. Get out, get out, get out. I know I'm like a broken record with this, but the window is closing to where it's actually relatively easy to do. You do not want to be in those places when this shit goes sideways. You're going to see suburbs right now that look pretty nice go to absolute shit almost overnight. And you'll be able to, it'll look slow and then gradually, then suddenly. You'll start to see more and more renters. This happened, the place I lived in Arlington, back when I started the show, we bought it in 2003 or four. I don't remember. And we left in 2011, 2010, 2011, 2011. I was by there recently. It is not the place I lived just 15 years ago. It isn't. But I could see it back then when my long-term neighbor left and rented his house to a bunch of college students. And I went, oh, this is going to be, and my wife was like, why? It's just one house. It's always one. And you drive around the neighborhood. And when I would get home, we lived on a cul-de-sac and it was like kind of a big block. And then we were tucked back in. I would always drive that big block before I went in my cul-de-sac to my house just to keep an eye on my neighborhood. And not just for this stuff, like because I cared about my neighbors. Like I literally blo- I caught a dude one night. I knew the neighbor wasn't there and he was trying to get into this guy's house. And I blocked him with my truck so he can get his vehicle out and called the cops and basically kept him there until the cops got there. And when the cops got there, I'm like, here's what I saw by. Here's my information. Call me if you need me. So I just kept an eye on the neighborhood and start driving around a couple months after that first one and for rent. Truck pulled up at another house, loading up the shit. Are oh, y'all moving? Did you sell the house? No, we're going to hang on to it and rent it. You go look at that neighborhood now. I'm so glad that I got rid of that property when I got rid of that property. That's just the little one. That's during the boom time. That's during the good times. Suburbs have life expectancies. And high population density and suburbs meet reaching that critical mass all at the same time when nobody has money. Bad, 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 bad juju, guys. Get out. Educate your children. Get them out of the school system if you can. Their brains, whether you believe it or not, whether you like the teacher or not, their brains are being programmed to all this bullshit. All this bullshit. They're being taught that men can have babies. Not my kids. I live in Nebraska. Trust me. Yes, your kids. And it will become, even if it's not there yet, it will be. My sister-in-law is a school teacher. My wife asked her, are you guys teaching this stuff? And she said this, like only a woman can with the eye roll. No, but it's coming. It's coming. I can see it. I can feel it. It's starting to trickle in. We're not doing it, but they're doing it to us. I'm telling you, get them out. And if you can't do it, I know people always say you can do it if you want to. And There's a piece of that I agree with, but you're not that parent and you don't know. And you shouldn't say that shit because you don't know their situation. You don't know that they're barely surviving right now. But if they're going to be in that system, you better be a counterbalance. You better make time to be with them and talk to them about their school and what they're doing and what they're being told and what they think. And you need to teach them the Socratic method of education. Like I talked about with the show I did on AI a couple weeks ago. You need to sit down and be the Socrat. Well, that's interesting. Instead of saying, you're stupid, Johnny, that's dumb. 
simply ask questions. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? I see where you could think that way, but how do you explain this? And let them educate themselves. You better do it because right now the state is raising your child if they're in public school. The state is raising your child, and that means the, 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 you will not be the you will not be the parent in the end. The state will, and they are going to be among the throng of idiots. Because remember, when we talk about stupidity here. We're talking about Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, not intellectually slow. People that have been made stupid, that can't think, that can't break out of the pack. The longer you're part of a collective the harder it is to extract yourself from the collective. It's a cult, right? If you find a cult, like a legitimate full-on religious nutjob cult, keeping people on a compound, and you end up going in and, like, liberating the cult, you do it without bloodshed. It's not Waco, right? It's just, hey, look, this dude, they think this guy's God, and you go in there and you peacefully break it up person that's been in that cult for like two weeks, how long do you think it's going to take to go, come on, let's pull back here a little bit and look at what was going on? You think maybe this was a problem? And deprogram it? Probably pretty easy. How about somebody's been there two years? How about somebody's been there ten years? It's a cult. It's a cult. They're not just indoctrinating your kids. They're brainwashing your kids. I guarantee you the majority of parents who raised that kid from Columbia University in that video I recently saw where the guy's going, can a man have a baby? When their kid was 10 years old, 12 years ago, if you would have said your kid is going to believe that a man can have a baby by the time they're 22, but I said, get the hell out of here. But there they are, aren't they? There they are, aren't they? And if you guys don't get how this is connected to economic disaster, you're no study of Rome in history or Greek history or Chinese dynastic history. Depravity has always accompanied economic decay throughout history. Depravity and like a level of almost like a mysticism. Like it's like it's like idiotic mysticism, right? You can keep saying that a man can have a baby, but a man can't. But if you say it long enough, people will believe it. They'll even be able to explain to you why it's true. And when you repeat it back to them, they won't realize how stupid it sounds. Protect your children. Protect your children as best you can, please. Because this is, this is the plan. This is not incompetence. This is intention. Next, you need to plan for systemic failure and personal success. You need to plan for your personal success. You know the poem by Rudyard Kipling, If? If you can keep your head in virtue while everyone around you is losing theirs. Paraphrase, I don't remember it exactly. But then yours is the world in everything in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son. It's kind of the ending of the poem. Sure got a word or two wrong. You have to you have to live that poem. You have to live that poem. You have to be prepared for everything to go just sideways from hell. 
and still be like, I don't care. Well, I care, but I'm not, I'm not going down with this ship. I'm building my own lifeboat. I'm building my own arc. I'm building a fleet of them with other people. Network, expand, know things, be able to do things, build skill sets, build businesses, build income streams. You have to treat this like what it really is. A horrible thing that's also the greatest opportunity you will ever see in your lifetime. I don't think most people that are alive today and certainly not old enough to listen to this show and sit through an hour and a half now of this type of discussion who will ever see the full end of this cycle. I don't think you'll see full recovery. I don't think you'll see. I don't think you'll see the fruition of strong men recreating good times. It doesn't mean there won't be any good times, but the when you look at that four cycle, I think we're heading into 50 years of shit. That's right, I said 50 years. Not for everybody, but for the majority. Because how do you recover from this? What is recovery? Like anybody says, well, we'll recover. What does that look like? What do you mean? How do you recover from a generation of people that don't know which bathroom they use and don't know what gender they are? How do you recover from a generation of people who are okay with completely incompetent people in the most powerful positions in the world? In fact, they're for it and cheering for it. How do you recover from a generation of people that still believe we only have 10 years to act on climate change when the first time they said it was 1980-freaking-9? How do you recover from this? Even if you fix the money. How do you society-wise, culturally, recover from this? How do you recover when you have a generation of people that don't want children by and large and are not having babies, not seeing to the future? How do you recover from this? Well, it's like being an addict. That addict will hit rock bottom and either die or begin a journey of recovery. As far as we've fallen, we are so far from rock bottom. It will be worse. But what you need, what you need is a plan for system failure and personal success. Every single failure is an opportunity. Every time something gets more expensive, if there's a way you can provide it for less, there's an opportunity. Every time something fails, if there's a way you can put a backstop against it, there's an opportunity. Guy moved here from South Africa, made Bill Tom. Opportunity. Why? Because he saw it. Is that business recession-proof? Believe it or not, it's more recession-proof than most. Because you know why? What is the first thing people cut? They, they try to cut first needs, not wants. In the middle of a recession, somebody will still put concert tickets for the band they really want to see on their credit card. But they'll spend eight hours on the phone trying to cut their cell phone bill back. Sell to the want. Sell to the want or sell to the unique and niche need. The need that no one else is selling to, it doesn't have to be that big of a niche if you own the whole thing. Take charge of your life. Get in good shape. Think really hard about the geography you choose to call home. Call home. Systemic failure is here. It's not coming. 
It's all happening right now. You're looking at it. You're living through it. You didn't ask to be born for this time, but you are. So you either get to be born into the greatest opportunity the world has ever known or one of the greatest periods of pain the world has ever known. They will both exist simultaneously. I promise you. This will exist at the same time. Right now, you can choose either side of that equation. But the difficulty in choosing the prosperity side goes up every day. And it's not going to stop going up for a long time. With that, guys, I'll be back tomorrow with an expert counsel Q&A show of the week. Remember, you can help us. When you are going to buy something online, by beginning your online shopping at tspaz.com. Remember, we do have this awesome Bill Tong is a new part of the MSB. If you like this show and you get value out of it, you like saving money, join the MSB, use the discounts, get your money back. With that, again, I'll catch you tomorrow with Expert Council Q&A. There will not be a live stream tomorrow. I don't do ECs as a live show. There will be an episode next week, probably just Monday and Tuesday, and then rewinds. i got a day before the event, I've got people coming in out of town and stuff, and I've got, you know, this, this celebration of 15 years of the Survival Podcast. Pretty excited about it. If I'm going to see you there, that's great. I look forward to meeting a lot of people. Just looking at the names on the ticket sales, there's a lot of names I know, and there's a lot of names I know, but I've never met in real life, and there's a lot of names I don't know. So I'm going to be, I think it's going to be a really great time. I appreciate you guys. I'll catch you tomorrow. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.